As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. I'm Christy Penley here with the Gravity Leadership Podcast, and I'm here with my friends Ben and Matt. Hey, we're Matt, here you're too. yawning. What up, CP? Um, it's been a long day. I've had it's been a it's been a week. It's only two p.m. <laughs> recording this at two p.m., but it has been a week, hasn't it? Man, it's been a week. Oof. On 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 Wednesday, Ben texted a group of us, and he was like, <laughs> "I I can't deal with this anymore. I'm so glad it's Friday." Uh, <laughs> like. That reminds me of this uh, this little cartoon. <laughs> this guy has like these papers and he's throwing them up, and the and the and the title is like it's got the f word in it. So if you're listening with children, it says f this, f this stuff, uh, and then the next thing is him bending over to pick up the papers. He said, "Just kidding, it's Thursday. I still need these." I feel like that was your week, Ben. That was my week. Yeah, yeah. So far, we're recording this on a Friday, the actual Friday of that week, uh, that where Wednesday felt like Friday. Um, but yeah, it's been. I've been reflecting. You know, we reflected last week a little bit on. You know, it's been a long pandemic. Uh, we're coming up on a year here of sort of uh, when we really uh, started grappling with it in earnest, mm-hmm. lockdown, all of that kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was reflecting, I mean, I'm in a little bit more serious note, but I was reflecting that week on uh, the need for resilience uh, in, in the face of uh, these challenges and just how unpracticed I am. Yeah. At, there's always been, typically for me, some escape valve or some, you know what I mean? Like some way of kind of taking a break 
from the challenge uh, that um, has allowed. But anyway, I'm I'm trying to learn resilience uh, in the midst of this, and so. Then I had to show some resilience this past weekend. Did you? Because we took all five kids skiing uh-huh. for the first time. Now, <laughs> many of them have skied, but we okay. have never taken all seven of us up the mountain. Okay. And so we were like geared up and uh-huh. Paul took two our two snowboarders with him cuz he's a snowboarder uh-huh. and I took three the three skiers on the bunny hill. <laughs> you guys. I had two kids who've never skied before. I am not exaggerating to say it took an hour and a half to get up the magic carpet and down the bunny hill one time with the three new skiers. And at one point, (laughs) I was like, don't cry, Christy, don't cry, hold it together. You're the mom. And I just, I needed some resilience and I needed some grit. I was like, whoa. But you know what? The day ended a great and all all five kids at the very end of the day were like, we loved it. It was so fun. Mm. We only cried 17 times. No, not really. But you know what I'm saying? Like they were all happy memories by the end, but Woo, mm. took some grit. Yeah. Took some grit. True grit. <laughs> Christy, yes. you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I think um, I wasn't on this interview that we're about to um, listen to with um, Juanita Campbell Rasmus. Uh, but from the title of her book, I wonder if uh, some, she has something to say here about developing resilience. One of the things that I'm learning for myself at least I've, I've started writing. Um, I mean, I write, I write prayers in my journal, you know, from time to time. Um, but the two days <laughs> to the, the two days following the Wednesday that felt like Friday, um, I just wrote a collect. I just wrote a prayer. A collect is just a prayer that everybody prays together. Um, or that one person prays on behalf of, of the church. So it collects the prayers of the church. Um, but that's been really helpful for me is just sort of writing, writing down, like what I need, like the resilience is, is, is a, it sort of feels like the spiritual muscle that I need to work. But part of working it is learning to just, uh, to not react to my problems in the way that, you know, like, you know, F, F this stuff, <laughs> throw your papers up in the air, <laughs> right. but it's like right. learning to pick them back up and go, no, I need these. I still need these. <laughs> and so <laughs> then you know the cartoon um, anyway. I'm talking about, right? I love that cartoon. It's really yeah. funny. So, but it channels, anyway, it channels some good energy. I yeah, think. yeah. So, I, but but part of the way that I I think collect my papers is to like write this prayer as a way of saying as a, like don't react to the situation or the problem, but just be in the moment with mm-hmm. God and trust that like I'm going to receive everything I need, and that's yeah. what these prayers have kind of come from is just this sense of like I'm going to receive what I need if I can just stay here in the present moment instead of trying to escape from it or try to fix it or, you know, throwing it all up in the air. If I can just stay here, God will actually do, he will give me what I need. That's kind of part of what I'm learning. So, yeah. Well, Juanita kind of went into that a little bit, even in her, her life. Like she was found in a place where Mm. she basically had to say, all right, God, here I am. I'm just going to be. And, um, I'm yep, excited yeah. to hear from her. So she's dynamite. Yeah, she's a firecracker. And uh, yeah, let's get into the interview. Well, I just want to, can I say something real quick, Chrissy, before Please. we get into it? Both of us, before we hit record, you and I uh, were saying, I, I wish Juanita was our pastor. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Um, I want I want her to be someone that sits down with me regularly because she's wise 
and she's passionate and mm. I need that in my life. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All well, right, well, I'm looking forward to hearing this now. Gird up your ear holes. Reverend Juanita Campbell Rasmus, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes, Juanita is a pastor. She uh, co-pastor, is that right, with your husband? That's right, that's right. At St. John's United Methodist Church in downtown Houston. And you do about 33 other things that seem like full-time jobs to me, Juanita. <laughs> so could you summarize briefly for our listeners, like, I don't know how many... You know, cats have nine lives. Juanita must have 10 because of all the stuff you do. Tell, tell us what other stuff you're involved with. Well, I tell you, um, most of the things uh, happen very organically. And so uh, one of the things we're involved with is the Bread of Life, which is our outreach ministry it was formerly for the homeless community in and around downtown Houston. Uh, but since then, it has transitioned into a uh, emergency relief agency. And so as an example, Hurricane Katrina uh, although it happened in Louisiana, it brought, needless to say, hundreds of thousands of people yes. to Houston, and they found Bread of Life in the St. John's downtown um, doorway. And so we literally began then uh, providing services to those who have now since uh, been affected by Harvey. Now we're doing relief for those who've been affected by the unemployment due to COVID-19. So we're distributing about 2,000 uh, to two, about 2,000 families a week uh, mm. from St. John's with an, our relationship with the Bread of Life. Uh, in addition to that, we founded Timonos CDC, which Timonos is a Greek word that basically is a cleft in a rock where the um, travelers would be able to find safety. And so we have a, a housing apartment complex um, that's about $30 million worth of housing for formerly homeless men and women. Um, basically everything pretty much revolves around that. And now of course, uh, the book learning to be and the work we're doing to help empower people to live their most expansive lives. Yes. That's what we're going to talk to you about today. Learning to be your new book. And the subtitle is finding your center after the bottom falls out. Um, Christy, uh, is with me as well today. How are you, Christy? I'm great. And it's fun to be together. <laughs> it is fun to be together. Um, uh, Finding Your Center is the name of our year-long training program, Juanita. And so, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too yeah. bad. Like, I mean, we can see each other. People who are listening can't. But Juanita's eyes just got like saucers and big old wow. tears, so Love How that. amazing is that? Yeah. So when wow. I saw your book, so Juanita and I got to meet on a friend's front porch about yes. four months ago. And when I saw her book, my I didn't do exactly what Juanita did with my face, but I definitely <laughs> had a, a similar reaction to the subtitle. I thought, I've got to get my hands on this book. And your book is hard to describe in one sentence because it's essentially how your life led you to a, um, a crisis point mm -hmm. and how God met you in that. Could you maybe give us a sense about why, why did you need to write about that? What would what did God give you in this, in your life that you felt like I need to put this down to share with other people? Well, you know, when it first happened, I, I didn't really think I was writing it for other people. I thought I was writing it so I could capture what was going on and kind of remember, you know, 
Um, uh, so I woke up one morning, um, life was normal, so it seemed. <laughs> um, I prepared breakfast for our girls who were then in middle school and for my husband. And uh, after we ate breakfast, our lives were so busy because we were um, co-pastoring a church that we started with nine members. At this point in the story, it's uh, about 3,500 members. So we were growing about 500 members a year. Mm. It was astronomical growth. Neither Rudy or I had ever been pastors before. This was strictly a deal where God said, go, and we did. And, you know, a world grew up around us, right? Um, and so when I prepared breakfast that day, uh, my husband said, would you like me to take the girls to school? And I said, sure, that'd be great. And I, I joked and I said, because that way I can put my makeup on in the bathroom mirror instead of the rear view mirror. And so we both laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and so I hugged everybody and they left. I went to the bathroom, went to put on my makeup and just all of a sudden felt really sick. Um, the thing that I immediately thought about was how you can just all of a sudden get hit with the flu and it's like you're feeling fine and the next moment you're going, oh my God, I'm sick. What's mm -hmm. going on, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking it's something like, well, maybe it was the flu or something. Or I, I called my secretary and said, I'm going to be in later because I'm not feeling well. And hung up the phone and literally saw myself pick up the phone, hit redial and say, I'm not coming in. I'm not, I don't know if I'm coming back. I'm going to take a medical leave or a sabbatical or something. None of that was ever in my consciousness, right? This is like watching myself do this mm. and hearing all this come out. And then I laid down and began to sleep 18 to 20 hours every day for a few weeks. And at around the second week point, my husband said, baby, I think you need some help. I think maybe we need to go to the doctor because um, it just wasn't like me, number one. Uh, so we go and get a complete checkup. They rule out diabetes. They rule out thyroid disorders. They rule out everything they can that's biologically related to the body, some mm -hmm. dis-ease that might have been creating this. And so then my doctor said, I think you probably would be benefited by seeing a psychiatrist. And so I did. And when I went to see her, they diagnosed me with a major depressive episode. Um, I don't think that... Well, as I look at having written, what happened to me is that in the process of, of finding out about the diagnosis, still sleeping, not, not being able to function, not being able to read, think, any of that, about six months in, I think it was about six months, um, the spirit said to me, I'll give you the treasures out of this darkness. There is nothing like the power of God to know exactly what needs to be said that becomes your hope. Mm -hmm. Okay. When God said, I'll give you the treasures out of this darkness at the time, I didn't know that was out of Isaiah 45 and the, the secret riches hidden, the riches hidden, the yeah secret, no riches hidden in secret places. I'll give you the treasures out of the darkness and riches hidden in secret places. For me, when God said that, the lifelong learner in me went, take notes, you're in class, right? Because yeah. I figured the only way you could get the treasures out of the darkness is you got to be able to live long enough <laughs> to glean them, right? Yeah. And so I just kind of started taking notes as best I could at that time. So I wrote the book out of my own sense that I was supposed to take notes. Then there became a place where I realized, oh, this isn't just for me. 
Yeah. So what what struck me was that depression almost took you by surprise. It in, did. In the sense that in the sense that when you got the diagnosis, it wasn't like finally, thank you, somebody can name this thing, this awful cloud. It was just that you had been doing so much for so long at such a high uh, rate of speed that your your body almost had to say, "I'm done," before your exactly. brain could catch up. Exactly, Matt. If I you have worded that so well, because that's exactly what happened. Here's what I know. We are addictive personalities. Mm. Most of us are. And 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 we all have our different varying addictions, okay? Um, but it was as though my brain was so hung up on um, my narrative. Work hard, strive, show that you can do a good job, make sure that your work is, you know, uh, perfect. And, and you are accounting for your life because you work for God. You know, and uh, so that was the nightmare I was living with, you know, and I say nightmare because I've learned so much about how if we don't check our narrative, our narrative will run us and it will ruin us. Because what God is offering us is a freedom. And so often, you know, it's really funny. I got to tell you this. When my girls were growing up. Um, you know, in the United Methodist Church, you don't destroy the Eucharist, the, the Holy Communion. You don't just like throw it out. Right. right. And so uh, whenever we would have extra communion wafers, the communion steward, who was uh, like an aunt to my girls, would always give them the bag of leftover wafers. Right. So they would come home and they would take communion over and over and over and over again. And we're Methodists. We're not Catholic. Catholics, that's understandable. OK. And so uh, but not only did they take communion over and over again. They accepted Christ over and over again. Every time the doors of our church were open, my girls would accept Christ again. Then they would come home. They were very young. And so they would come home and they'd want their dad to baptize them in the tub again. Right. <laughs> and so um, I say all that to add some humor to the reality that Christ keeps wanting to save us over and over and over and over again, because we keep getting saved at different levels. We keep getting an awareness of this abundant life, this with God life, and it comes at different levels. And I think often our suffering provides us with the grand invitation of, are you willing to let me save you again? Mm -hmm. Save you from your narrative, save you from old ways of thinking and being that aren't life giving save you from your addictive nature and your addictive personality, save you from cultural expectations that don't serve you and don't serve the kingdom, you know? So I think um, Jesus is offering to save us over and over and over again. Man, I just this morning was reminded that, you know, I, I asked Jesus into my life when I was four, but my time with the Lord this morning, I felt like my prayer was, and Jesus, I need you today as much as I needed you. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. You know, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you're saying, right? I mean, we, yes, it we is. every day, mm -hmm. every exactly. moment. And God is exactly. there. So, so kind, so generous yes. to give yes. himself um, over and over and over. 
um, and we partake and we get to, yeah. to participate in what he has yeah. for us. And that's if we're willing, you know, uh, because here's what I found out. The reason it's called learning to be finding your center after the bottom falls out is because so, well, I, I shouldn't say that's why it's called that, but I guess really what I'm trying to say is what the message is, is that so often we get to our crisis place, our, our bottom falling out place. And whether that's a mental health diagnosis like it was for me or a physical diagnosis of some disease in the body, or it is a, a divorce or a dream that gets devastated, a business that falls apart, whatever the, the thing is that becomes the basis for our bottom, right? Yeah. What I realize is that it is just almost normative for us to want to run, to run away from the divorce. And just, if I could just get this behind me, if I could just get on to my new life, if I can just become, you know, move out into the new space, if I could just get this uh, 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 bankruptcy off, uh, off my record, if I, it's, it's always this kind of hurry and get away from the thing, whatever the thing is for you, right? And what I realized and why the Lord gave me that scripture is all the real riches of our world come out of dark places. Diamonds come out of the depth and darkness of the earth. Oil comes out of the depth and darkness of the earth, right? Um, pearls come out of the darkness of the oyster clam and the irritation of a grain of sand that this oyster is really trying to get rid of, right? And in the process of trying to get it from out of that shell, makes a pearl mm. but it was it was devastating for the oyster it felt disorienting perhaps for the oyster i've never interviewed an oyster but i'm just guessing that <laughs> it would be a bit disruptive right and so often the thing that disrupts our lives we just want to silence it and move past it and i think we're missing out on so much because when the lord told me he would give me the treasure it made me decide, okay, this might take a while, but I'm going to get everything out of this that God wants me to have. Yeah. Yeah, Juanita. I, I want to back up because I think you named, you self-reported on one of the things that kept you from sitting in the darkness was this narrative that you kept repeating over and over, do it well, do it excellent, get it done, knock it out. Um, and uh, you, you mentioned in your book uh, being helped. The work.com. Yeah. I think we lost Matt, but we'll keep going. Tell us okay. a little bit about that. Um, okay. yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. The, the work.com by Byron Katie is a work of inquiry. And this is what I've learned. You know, nobody ever really asks you, who are you? They'll say, what do you do? But they don't really ask us when we introduce each other. We don't really say, who are you? They say, what do you do? Right. And so that perpetuates this narrative about productivity being who we are. What Byron Katie invites us to do is to check our narrative, mm. to, to, to question what we've been saying to ourselves, the story we've been telling ourselves, to question 
and to deeply question what's been happening in our life and how we've been reporting on it, how we've been living it out, to ask ourselves. And really, uh, it's based on four questions. Is it true? Now, I just did a, a conference this morning with a group of people from Ghana who read the book uh, and an organization that sponsored that. And we were talking about our narratives. It was amazing to me that narratives are cross-cultural. So part of my narrative was the performance, the good little girl, follow all the rules and all this stuff, right? And so Byron Katie's work asked us to ask the question. So my my part of my um, breaking down my narrative with truth was to say, um, do I have to be perfect? And the answer is no. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. Um, Juanita, you mentioned in your book, uh, I want to back up to something you said about noticing the narratives. And this is something that we do at Gravity is we help people notice the stories they're telling themselves. And uh, it's amazing how these scripts, these tapes play, this, uh, we call it our operating system, where yes. every app, every action we open in our lives is based upon this operating system. And you named yours like do it perfectly. You mentioned that you're uneasy complicated relationship with a Proverbs 31 woman. You, you oh, know, yeah. You know, and like, that's sort of in your bones. But you mentioned Byron Katie's The Work as yes. something that helped you begin to face and reckon with that, with those narratives. Can you name um, maybe what those, she has four questions, what those four questions are and how they helped you sort of confront that stuff and meet God in the darkness? Yeah. So she has a form called One Belief at a Time Worksheet. And when you go to ByronKatieTheWork.com, look at her downloads. She's got plenty of videos and she even has a book that explains all of this process. Mm -hmm. I was trained um, to do what's called inner healing prayer. I don't know if your audience is aware of that, but this is the equivalent of inner healing prayer where you have to write it down and you do the work of the process. Okay. So there are four questions. She says, Um, as it relates to belief, write down a stressful belief. Often our narratives are filled with stressful beliefs, okay? And so I love to point out the fact that in the middle of the word belief is the word lie, L-I-E. Yes. Okay. Um, So the four questions she asks is, number one, is it true? So Juanita, is it true that you have to perform for other people's acceptance and approval. Well, at any point in my life, I would have said, absolutely. That's the only way you can be affirmed, isn't it? Is that somebody else gives you a certificate or a pat on the back or a compliment or a trophy for good production? I mean, isn't that the way that works? And then the second question is, can you absolutely know 
That is true. Well, most of us go back to our experience and we say, well, golly, ever since I was in kindergarten, I did my first Easter speech. The people applauded. That's the way it's been showing up in my life. So, yeah, this is absolutely true. Right. Because our what? Our default system is playing. So then the third question is this. How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And then I talk about how it feels to be stressed out trying to get your sermon together after 20 hours of, of, of working on it. And it doesn't seem to be manifesting. And you're thinking that God's not going to show up for you. And you just start playing this scenario of how it's not going to work out. And you're going to flop on the stage and everybody's going to see you. And you're going to be like naked in front of everybody. You know, you just go through this, this whole spiraling down process that dehumanizes us, yeah. takes our yeah. energy takes away our creativity, and, and we, we forget how many times we've been in that place and God has shown up for us. Yeah. You know? The fourth question, okay, so when she says, how do you react? What happens when you believe the thought? What emotions arise when you believe that thought? What comes up for you? What images of the past and even what projections on the future are you making? Then how do you treat yourself and others when you believe that thought? And then the fourth. So that was just all part of question three. But the fourth one is this. Now, I love this. I love it because it just points to the goodness of God. God is always not only longing to save us from our narrative, but to free us to be our most authentic and expansive self. The fourth question is this. Who would you be without that thought? So let me give you an example how that looks. So let's say, let's use the sermon thing. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Preparing the sermon. It's been 20 hours. You know, you've, you've worked on it all week for 20 hours. And yet here it is Saturday night at nine o'clock. And this sermon is no less together than it was 20 hours ago. Right. And so then you start going through all the, the scenarios in your head, whatever your story is, whatever your story of shame or guilt or, or anger or, or whatever it is, whatever the story is, the narrative starts playing. Right. And so then the, the fourth question asks us to say to ourselves, so who would I be without the thoughts of shame and, and guilt and resentment and whatever else might be floating around in the atmosphere? Who would I be? Well, I'd be Juanita sitting here at nine o'clock on a Saturday night needing the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Now, if you sit in that kind of energy, that's a creative energy. Mm -hmm. That's not a beating yourself up energy. That's not, it's doom and gloom, catastrophize this sermon out, you know, to the church collapses and falls apart because you couldn't pull the sermon together. You know, all the stuff we do to ourselves <laughs> as part of our narrative. Yeah. And so when you work through this process and, and I've had to work through it with all kinds of beliefs, you know, beliefs in my marriage, beliefs with my daughters, belief with my grandchildren, that if they're not disciplined a certain way, they're going to go to hell, you know, whatever. Or just all these kinds of we are we are we are a walking pack of story. And at some point you have to ask yourself, now, is this true? Has this been my experience of God that he's going to throw me into the depths of hell and punish me and I'll never see his face again. This God who claims to love me. Has this been my experience? That's not been my experience. But I had a picture of a punitive God that had not changed since childhood. But when I began to do 
this work by Byron Katie and working with my psychotherapist and working with my spiritual director and having friends who speak truth into my life, even when I don't want to hear it, you know, who invite me to question my thoughts. Now, not everybody does that. Um, not everybody's going to question your thoughts, but I've given people in my life permission to ask me, is that true? Is that really true? This is so good because I think so often people only want to scratch the surface, yeah. right? We, we have a, a, a lie that we're believing and, and maybe we could even recognize it as a lie, but we actually don't dig any deeper than the fact right. of just noticing it, right? right. And if you yeah. don't dig deeper to really knowing what is the truth, I've been living, believing this lie for how many years? What is the actual truth? Can we actually live in the truth if we don't actually really dig into that? So, so good and so needed and, and seen, I think, at least in my life, I need it every day, right? Yes. Every day. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Christy, what I realize is that there's two kinds of pain, the pain to keep living the lie and the pain to work towards the truth. There's going to be pain either way. Pick your pain. You know, yes. it's just the reality of life and humanity and suffering, you know, uh, that we're going to hurt uh, when you um, have broken a leg and you find out it didn't set and it's got to be broken again. Mm. That's going to hurt. I don't care what you tell yourself. Mm. You know, it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, but the reality is the spine will get to align properly. You'll begin to walk in a way that's harmonious with every step because you were willing to go through the pain of recovery and healing, you know? So pick your pain. Yeah. So your body, your body shut it down. Said you're sleeping 18 yeah. hours at a time. And then your, yeah. your mind had to catch up. Oh, this is what's going yeah. on with me. Yeah. Um, maybe we can then talk now about your spirit. Because as you begin to interrogate these scripts, these narratives that weren't doing good work for you, Right. And we're maybe leading to this exhaustion or l having you oh, live yeah. out of uh, living towards or in reference to a punitive God. Sure. Um, what were some of the things that began, what were some of the ways that you ordered your spirit or opened your spirit to begin to reckon with this stuff, to mine out the treasures in the darkness? Well, one of the things that happened for me is that the spirit said, if you'll let me, I'll help you build a life you can live with. And so for me, that was a no-brainer, of course. I mean, I don't want every seven years my life to end up like this because it looks like that's how this works, you know? Um, and so as I began to just listen, and here's what happened. Silence is like a marinade. And if we'll engage the silence, and I talk about this in the book, how sometimes we're like a piece of fish. It doesn't take a lot of marinade on fish because too much marinade will literally cook the fish. OK, um, so that those are those moments where we are already so open and so ready. But then there are times when we're like chicken. We need to be coated on both sides. soaked. you know, if you can cover us all the way up with the marinade. So it really gets in there. Right. I just saw shake and bake, shake and bake in my <laughs> A shake and bake for years. It's amazing. You, you and me, Eva, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and then there are times we're like brisket. Oh, now you're it's speaking my love language. It, 
All right. You know, mm-hmm. let it stay in the, the marinade overnight. If it can do 24 hours, that won't hurt it before you put it on the grill, you know, um, because there there's that deep, 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 deep stuff. Um, so for me, I, I don't I, you know, that's a very good question. But I think for me, what happened is I felt so empty so exhausted, so worn out, beat down, whatever you want to call it, that I knew that my way wasn't working. And so for the spirit to offer me a way, I almost really didn't care what it looked like. Let's do it because it's yeah. got to be better than this. You know, I had no joy, you know, I, and, and that that doesn't mean anything to somebody who knows joy. To give you a little example of how shut down I was, do you know what it's like to go outside on a beautiful sunny day and the sun is is like making everything shine, you know? We've all had that experience. You walk out and you feel the warmth and especially after a time of winter where you've been inside and, you know, that first day when the sun is out, people are out, they're jogging in parkers, you know, (laughs) with, with ski shoes on and stuff, you know? but it just enlivens you. You come alive. I was so dead. I was so joyless that any possibility of coming alive, I wanted it. And God made that available. Yeah, I hear a couple things, Juanita. And then I'm curious, Christy, what you're hearing too. One is you mentioned you got to choose the pain that you're going to embrace. And, right. and, most of our stories tend to follow the human rule uh, that we don't usually change in, unless the pain of changing is less than the pain of staying the same. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, what I heard you say is like, the pain of staying the same was I couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> and my husband's like, you need to go to the doctor. <laughs> so that's like, you know, you just shut it down. The second thing I heard you say, and I want, I wonder if, um, I wonder if you could double click on this more. Why is silence so terrifying? Like, why would we rather do anything other than be silent and still before the Lord? You know, first of all, silence is very much like a light. And it shines on our narrative. Um, when I've gone into silence, one of my friends does this annual 40-day uh, silent retreat. And so whenever I ask him, well, how was it? He said, well, it was 40 days of silence. You know what that's about. And so what he was saying to me was <laughs> that, that you either going in knowing that it is going to be a hallelujah chorus with you and the Lord, right? Or you go in and every step of the way into the silence, you're becoming more and more butt naked Mm. and you're feeling more and more vulnerable. Now it's not because of anything the Lord is doing It's simply, do you remember the scripture that says, uh, who was that that asked God to let him see him face to face? And he said, no, I'm going to let you see my hind parts because you couldn't take seeing me face to face. Silence is the hind parts of God. But what it does for us, is it helps us to see how much we need God. It helps us to see the places in us that are bearing toxic fruit, 
It helps us to see the places in us that are yearning and longing for more of life with God. We get to see how easily we get distracted from the presence of God. We get to know things about ourselves that if the light of silence hadn't shone on us, we would just keep being busy and distracted. And so what happens in that space is I find that for me, I often just long for God in the silence. Um, it sometimes it has been scary, but I've gotten, I think, so accustomed to it that I welcome it. Because if it's scary, that means it's some deep doodle we're getting ready to dig. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Um, and there are times when it has just been such an incredible place of rest and renewal. So it can be either of those things and all of those things. And, um, and for some people, I get it. Uh, because a lot of people have experienced a lot of pain in silence. You know, uh, they were being abused and told to be quiet. You know, uh, somebody put their hand over their mouth and, and that kind of thing. So silence can be terrifying to some people. And I have a dear, dear friend that that, that has been the case for her. And mm -hmm. so I would never recommend she go on a silent retreat, not right away. But what about just two or three minutes of deep breathing? And if your mind starts to wonder, bring it back to the breathing and just noticing the breathing mm -hmm. as a means of just letting your mind rest for a bit. Because that, for me, rest is the one thing that I really get in silence. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like as I'm hearing you share, what's resonating in my heart is, oh, I'm not good at that. In fact, it, what came to mind is when I was in college, I did this class. It was like an outdoor education class. And part of our class was that we had to go camp for a week with a bunch of people and hike around and all that kind of stuff. And we had a 24-hour silent retreat by ourselves. We had to camp by ourselves. We had to be by ourselves. I came back early. I couldn't mm. do it. Like I came yeah. back to my professor. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I think a couple hours early and he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is so hard for me. But what I hear you say is – God met you in that oh, and God continues to meet you in that and, yeah. and truly in a, in a life transformational way from your depression to really uncovering and unearthing your identity being that you are God's beloved. I mean, yes. that is what kind of surfaced and that what yeah. you were like, this is the truth I need to live yes. into. Yeah. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Sure. Let me, let me, let me say something before that. I think a good way to look at a silent retreat, an extended period of time of silence, okay, uh, could be like Jesus being led by the spirit into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. It says he was tempted there, right? Because he was tempted to claim power, to claim, um, um, to display that power, being challenged to display it. And, you know, all the things that I always think of that temptation as being really just two things. Uh, inadequacy and scarcity. None hmm. of us wants to deal with our inadequacy. None of us wants to deal with the places in us that uh, operate out of scarcity. Hmm. That's fearful and that's fear making, right? Jesus goes through the wilderness. The spirit leads him to that place. But then here's the part we tend to miss. And then the devil fled from him and he was cared for by the angels. Hmm. Hmm. 
See, we have to go through that uncomfortable place, Christy, where you want to get out of there. You just want to run. You want to do anything but be quiet. And if we can train ourselves, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I would ever recommend somebody who's never gone on silence to do 24 uh, hours silent. I, I think it, some for some people it needs to be some some you know five minutes, then 25 minutes, and you know in a graduated sense like that because it's real. It's a very real place. Silence is a place, okay? And yes, the truth is there. And that truth for me is almost always the comfort of the angels. Because God doesn't just like pull our skin off of us, leave us with this uh, ripped off flesh and then you know, have our, our being exposed to all the elements and then the vultures can come. You know what I'm saying? What God does is say, this is going to hurt, but let me show you something. And he shows us. And then he says, now, give me a second. I'll, I'll put a bomb on this for you. Mm-hmm. But you needed to know that there's this happening in your life and, and, and it's not going to do you much good if you keep ignoring it. If you keep staying so busy that you don't pay attention to what's driving you. If you keep uh, allowing distractions to keep you from intimacy with me, because intimacy mm. means into me, you see. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Oh, that's so good, Juanita. So um, what I do like about this uh, book so much is that it's not this clinical deep dive in depression and it's not this biblical necessarily a, a biblical theology, but it's really like your travel log hmm. through the through I, the darkness. I love that. Yeah, it's, I love that idea. It, and I feel like um, one of the things that helps us is to um, you know we're creatures n- made for attunement. When we feel seen mm-hmm. and known, we mm-hmm. we know ourselves better. Yes. And your book functions as a um, as permission and validation. To, to know ourselves better as we find our story in yours. Um, and so, yeah, I, I commend it wholeheartedly. I, I guess I, one of the final things I want to talk about, it's something you get to towards the end of your book, and that is something we talk about a lot here, but I feel like I'm still a novice about it. Could you speak a bit to how you reckoning with what you wanted, mm. reckoning with your desires, how that was a part of the treasure that God had for you. Yeah. So one day, I think um, I had gone to see my psychiatrist and she asked me what, what was it that I really wanted? Um, And she, what she was doing was juxtaposing what I wanted to what I was doing. Okay. Because my identity had been so engraved in doing is who I am. And so she said, well, what do you really want? What do you want? And when she asked me that question, and I, I talk about this in learning to be, I said, it was like realizing you had lost something and, and you needed to call 911 and get somebody to come help you find it. Because the only places in my life where I was ever asked what I wanted was typically at a restaurant. And often I ate at the same restaurants and the waiters always knew what I was going to get because I almost always got the same thing, you know. So it was more like irregular. And I go, yeah. Right. So when she asked me what I wanted, 
I was like at a loss for words. No images came to mind, no words, no feelings. I was just empty blank inside. And so the spirit led me to take a file folder and to get it out. And much like I have this file folder here with stuff in it, this is Byron Katie stuff in this file. But the, the spirit said, okay, write on it, want to. And I said, okay. And then led me on this process of every time I saw an image or a word or a picture of something uh, that kind of appealed to me, I would put it in that want to file. So I put in things like hot air ballooning. Um, I put in uh, somebody on a hike. Oh, it was a really pretty day. Um, I put in um, a cruise ship, somebody on a cruise, you know, I put in words like adventure um, and um, just a variety of things. And one of the things I put in it was a picture of a person skydiving. And so I put all those things in the file and I would add to it from time to time. I would see a picture or something and I would just drop it in. And what it helped me to do, and I didn't know it consciously at the time, even though now I do, what God was doing was helping me to activate my desire. You see, the Bible says God will give us the desires of our heart if we keep our mind stayed on God. But the problem is most of us have no desires because we're so busy performing. And so what God was saying to me is I'm going to help you create some desires. Then one of the other things that that was done for me is I was reminded to reflect on my childhood. What were the things I did for fun? I know you got a bunch of leaders on this call on this podcast. What did I do for fun? What was pleasurable and didn't have anything to do with anybody else but me? Because I was so used to putting everybody else first and putting myself on the back burner. But in order to give, you've got to receive first. And so what I came to realize is that God was interested in my desires. One of the very first things I, and to the, at this moment, I cannot remember. You know, when you write a book, you edit out. You get, a lot of stuff gets edited. I don't know if you remember. Did I mention anything about going to Africa? No, I don't think Not so, Wanda. Okay, so... One of the things that happened for me is that I was sitting on the sofa and the spirit said, where's one place you've always wanted to go? And I'm like, no, I don't know, because <laughs> I couldn't remember. And so because um, my memory was so, so shut down, that part of my brain was just like toast. OK, mm. and it took a long time for it to recover. Um, and so I said, God, I, I don't remember. I don't know. And so God said. Think about it. Where have you always wanted to go? And I'm like, I know. Where have I always wanted to go? And so God said, you've always wanted to go to Africa. And I said, oh, I did. Because <laughs> I was so shut down, I, I didn't remember. And so I said, okay, Africa. All right. And so I wrote that in my file, right? This was like in probably September, November of the year. And by January, I got a phone call from our denominational headquarters asking me to go to Africa in place of one of our bishops. Now, you have to understand pecking order in the United Methodist Church, and I'm at the very bottom of it, okay? <laughs> so for me to be asked to go to Africa, all-expense-paid trip, 
in place of a bishop so that I could attend the United Nations Conference on World Racism. Wow. Now, why am I telling you that story? Because God longs to give us what we desire. And God will even help us co-create the desires if we'll invite God to do so. You see, if you don't invest any time in silence, you won't hear what God is saying. I can't wait for you to go do this. I'm looking forward to you to take that trip to Paris. I'm looking forward for you to go to London. I'm looking forward for you to take that uh, walk on the, uh, what? how do you say the Crucio, the, 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 the walk through Spain, what is it called? Oh, do you remember? The, oh, gosh. Okay, anyway, that is it's, it's the... <laughs> see, I, I always think of it uh, crucial. But anyway, that walk, that so many... The pilgrimage, right? Mm-hmm. That so many people take. God has these wonderful ideas for us that God is longing, that that often was in us when we came into being. But as we got older and other people's opinions began to matter to us and other people's expectations began to be important to us, we set aside those longings and those desires. And God is still saying, I am longing for you to live into that. Because when you do that thing, you're going to know something more about you and you're going to fall in love with me. So when we push those things aside and when we push them back, when we are waiting on the kids to get older, when we're waiting on the house to get paid for, when we're waiting on retirement, when we're waiting to uh, get the bonus check that, you know, you know, when we're when we're doing all this waiting, all this pushing back of those desires, what happens is it tunes down the energy on them. And other things have more energy, more pull for us, more things that aren't always necessarily life giving. Do you know what I hear when you say all that is the sentence, he is so good? Because yeah. sometimes the narrative we we tell ourselves as, as Christians, right, is yes. that he's not generous or he's not That's good. Right. He's not right. active and he's not, but he is, you know, Absolutely. he is. And so um, it's just such a good reminder for me and for our listeners to hear that, that God is good and he meets Absolutely. us. He meets Absolutely. us. In our silence, in our circumstance, in whatever's going on. Um, yeah. So thank you so much because it's just a really good reminder of the truth of who he is. That's right. Yeah. And that's what this is really all about. That's why Byron Katie's inquiry is so important. It's inviting us to check our narrative because we become like the God we believe in. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I became judgmental because I believed that God was judgmental and everything was black and white. And it's either right or wrong or it's good and bad. And then I come to St. John's and find out there's 9,989,000,000,000 shades of gray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Yes. Praise Jesus. And uh, Jesus is loving all the shades yeah. while I'm judging what's black and what's white. Yeah. Mm. This is so good, Juanita. I, I just want to maybe tie something you said at the beginning to what this thing about desire here. It occurred to me as you were talking that when we live in our activity or our, our minds and we don't tap into our hearts, I know sometimes in Christian circles we're taught to be scared of our hearts because you got you know some of our cousins and uncles and aunts mm-hmm. that are like just um, 
uh, kind of a name it, claim it kind of thing. Like God wants mm-hmm. me to have a Bentley, you know, and then you've got mm-hmm. the other side, which is really serious Christians trying hard to be really mm-hmm. good. And they want to kill all these desires, you know, this kind of right, Victorian right, right. virtue that, you know, the, 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 the pinnacle of Christianity is this stoic, unfeeling, undesiring, right. but what you're naming is actually salvation. It's a That's re- it. <laughs> <laughs> over and over again. You naming it, and I and I'm, I, it comes back to the thing you brought up in the beginning, and it makes so much sense about how why you are experiencing this season of your life caught up in your head and caught up in your activity as depressing is because there's no joy unless we're living no embodied, full-hearted lives. That's right. There's That's no right. joy. That 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 joy piece. Let me tell you, that has been so elusive for me for such a long time. And when I found the experience of joy, and which is why I tell that story about Africa. Now, keep in mind, the only thing I had to do for that trip was have a passport and show up. Everything was paid for, right? Mm -hmm. And to know that God loves me like that and that this is not a once in a lifetime kind of thing. You know, it's not like, oh, I remember that one good time. You know, but that God wants to show up like this every day. Let me give you an example. Now, this might sound silly to somebody, but for me, I have been so focused on the rules of God, right? Not realizing God wanted relationship. So this ring I have on, this is a compilation of four different rings and I have them stacked, right? And so one day I lost this ring. Well, I bought this little ring as uh, the stone to represent my grandson. And I lost it, couldn't find it anywhere. And so there's this prayer I pray when I lose something. I say, okay, God, nothing is lost in you. And if it's okay that I find this thing, would you allow it, right? Let me tell you where I found this ring. I had bought a big bag of popcorn from a popcorn shop here in Indianapolis, and it was huge. And so I had eaten a little bit down, right? And so I I had gotten to the point where I had about this much popcorn. And so one day I was just sitting there and missing my husband because he's in in Houston and I've been in Indianapolis being grandma, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm eating through this popcorn, y'all, and I get to the bottom of the bag and my ring is in it. Okay. Great. That's that's the kind of God I serve. A God who knows that there are these little things that make Juanita's heart happy. Yes. And that yes. God is willing to do those little things that make Juanita's heart happy. Okay. And so yes. for me, this is um if if I could empower people by learning to be to come to know this God who is so compassionate, who is so loving, this God who, when you walk the labyrinth, says, go skydiving. Mm. Right? Mm. Something I've wanted to do all my life. And God was saying to me when I went skydiving, who do you think put this desire in you? (laughs) (laughs) See, I thought it was mine. Right. And so then I, because I thought it was mine, it meant I thought I could do with it what I wanted. Mm. But God was saying, I'm the one that put this desire in your heart. And aren't you glad you came? And I was like, heck yeah, let's do it again. That's a word for me, Juanita. 
Who do you think put this desire in you? It's not yours, it's mine. I need to sit on that today. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being with us. Um, two things. Number one, I can't walk past that popcorn stand in the Indianapolis airport and not buy popcorn either. I just want that, you to know. That's where I got the popcorn from. I know it is. I know. I knew it was. And I know. just know that you've got a brother here who also eats that popcorn compulsively. Yes! Yes! <laughs> it's a good thing I don't fly every day because my heart, my health couldn't take it. Uh, number two, Camino de Santiago. The El Camino. Thank you. That's it. Yes. I know. That's I remember it. like two seconds after you said it yes. and then I just didn't want to interrupt you, but we both had a yeah. brain a brain freeze. Um, Juanita, if people are listening, we're going to put a link to your book in the show notes, but how else can they find you online? Where else are you, uh, are able people able to connect with you? I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and um, everything is pretty much Juanita, J-U-A-N-I-T-A, Rasmus, R-A-S-M-U-S. And then you can also go to my website, JuanitaRasmus.com. Mm. And you you mentioned before we hit record that you're going to be doing an online something coming up here this week. Yes, morning. yes. I'm so excited. Uh, this will be our uh, third event. Uh, you know, God is so funny. Uh, I finished the book and I was kind of like, okay, I'll sit back and chill, right? I said, not quite. <laughs> There's the learning to be experienced. And I was like, oh, there he is. Oh. Yeah. And so January the 23rd. 2021, it's a Saturday, we'll be doing a two and a half hour learning to be experience. It's an experience of envisioning your 2021, who you want to be Mm. in 2021. And so you can check it on my social media and all those places. You'll see an access point where you can get the information and register. I'd love to have your, your audience to join me. That'd be wonderful. Yes. I may I may join you for that too, and we got to run not just because it. we want to honor your time, but because my son at home learning twelve year old is practicing violin in the room next door. <laughs> and we do have outro. Time it's music time in the Teddy House. It, it uh, just you know our outro music's uh, it's a little better than a twelve year old playing violin. So Juanita, <laughs> thank you so much for being with us today. It was a delight to talk to you, and um, God bless you. Likewise. Let's do it again sometime. Thanks to you and Christy both. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 